Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Practical Woodsman Podcast. I'm Rut, the creator and host of the Practical Woodsman. That's right. It's my genius which has brought this all into existence. In this episode, we're going to be talking about bears, forest fires, caves, and parasites. Oh my, what a combination. But first, we have to do the musical introduction. So hang tight. I'll be right back. Do you like quotes? Try out this quote for size. See if you like it. If you can't beat fear, just do it scared. Attributed to I don't know who. I uh, come across that on the internet somewhere and I thought, boy, that's a doozy. Here's one about trees, which I really like. It goes like this. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Here's a quote about West Virginia. Did you know that there are seven different blood types in West Virginia? Yeah, there's AB minus, AB plus, B plus, B minus, O plus, O minus, and number seven is sausage gravy. So that'll get us started on today. Let's do some announcements and then we can get into this discussion about bears, forest fires, caves, and parasites. Locals is where my online community is located. You can join us right over there at uh, thepracticalwoodsman.locals.com. I chose that platform because of their commitment to free legal speech. We do uh, live streams there on Saturdays which is in fact what I should be doing right now, but I'm a little behind on things and I'm recording this podcast instead. So be sure to join us over there on Locals if you would like to uh, engage in our community a little bit more in a little bit more personable way. Um, You can also join us by downloading the Locals.com app from the App Store and then just searching for The Practical Woodsman Within. It's It's a pretty nifty pretty nifty app that they've got going on there as i've mentioned in the in past episodes if you're simply subscribed to the audio only podcast uh, then you're missing out on some of the cool videos i do of course i call different show types different things this is the podcast so it works well with people who just want to listen to the show if you're driving down the road or whatever but also i have adventures and exclusives and adventures are just me out in the woods exclusives are can, can involve anything, but they require the video format in order for me to do the presentation. So recently, some of these uh, exclusive videos that I've done is I tested out my budget or poor man's sub-freezing down backpack and quilt. And uh, so I showed off me testing that in real temperatures and uh, turned out really well but if you'd like to see that and you'd like to know how to save $800 uh, be sure to subscribe to the practical woodsman on YouTube and rumble 
Another uh, exclusive video I did here recently was with Buckeyes, Chestnuts, and Walnuts. One of those will kill you, and two of them look awfully alike. So if you'd like to know the difference, how to distinguish Buckeyes and Chestnuts, uh, you want to subscribe to the Practical Woodsman on YouTube and Rumble. And then another exclusive I did here recently, just this week, was a, a review of a budget backpacking tent in the $50 range. Really nice tent. If you'd like to see that, again, subscribe to the Practical Woodsman on YouTube or Rumble. And be sure to uh, turn on the notification bell so that when I post those exclusive videos, you will get notice of them bears everybody always wants to know if i worry about bears when i'm out in the backcountry the answer is that i do not i don't worry about bears the only thing i would worry about there's black bears in my area the only thing that slightly concerns me is if i'm lost in my thoughts and i'm not making enough noise as i'm going through the woods and i might come around the bend on a trail or something and boom there there's a bear that 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 would be a bad situation you don't want to surprise a bear but other than that to be honest with you i don't worry about bears i even sleep with my food half of the time and i i hesitate to tell you that because i don't want to encourage anybody else to do it i i think of the circum it's specific circumstances where i allow myself to do that uh, i don't always sleep with my food but I don't always hang my food either. A lot of times I do sleep with my food. It depends on where I'm at, time of year, those, all these sorts of things. This is one of the benefits of my going into truly wild areas. I'm not going, I'm, I don't do the Appalachian Trail no more. It's too, it's too popular, it's too touristy. You get all sorts of people. Thousands of people are on that trail all year round, you know, on different sections of that trail all year round, but I, uh, it's not for me. It's not wild enough for me. It's not true wilderness. So I prefer the areas where I, a lot of people don't go. And uh, what this means is that the wildlife in the areas where I go are not used to people. And that is a key point right there. The areas where I go, the animals are not, the wild animals are not used to people. And so if you can imagine if, uh, you know, you walk in your backyard and there's an alien there from Neptune, your, what your reaction would be, you'd, you'd practically fall over yourself to get out of there, wouldn't you? And that's what the black bears do in the areas where I go. Uh, that's always been the case. I mean, they, they tuck tail and they run and they are fast. So the black bears that I'm used to, they spook easily. People are mostly foreign to them. They don't want anything to do with me. This is not the case in areas like in national parks, really popular areas like the Appalachian Trail. Any areas that draw lots of people, those wild animals are not as wild as the, the animals and the bears and stuff like that that I'm used to. So if I were on the Appalachian Trail, you better believe uh, I would take every precaution. If I'm in a national park, you better believe I'm going to take every precaution. Uh, because people are dumb. People are really dumb. You want to know how dumb people are? Here's a news report from WSAZ 
out of Huntington, West Virginia's News Channel 3, WSAZ. That's my local news. Here's the headline. National Park closes eight miles of road after visitors try to hold bear cub. Yeah, you, you knew people were dumb, but uh, maybe you didn't know that they were quite that dumb. National Park closes eight miles of road after visitors try to hold bear club, bear cub. Um, what I'd like to say about that is people as individuals are very smart, but people in general are very dumb. That's what I mean. I'm not trying to insult any of you listening here. Unless you're one of these dummies that was trying to hold a bear cub. Asheville, North Carolina, it says, officials in North Carolina have closed a portion of Blue Ridge Parkway after visitors recently had interactions with bears in the area. According to the National Park Service, the team decided to shut down the section after it received multiple reports of people feeding and trying to hold a young bear at the Lane Pinnacle Overlook. The whole route right there is going to be closed until further notice. We're closing this section of the road temporarily for the safety of both the bear and park visitors, said Blue Ridge Parkway Superintendent Tracy Swartout. Swartout. We want to give the bear a chance to lose interest in the area before the situation escalates and visitors or the bear are harmed. Animals in the wild, they're not stupid. They adapt real quick and they learn about things and you know, if you imagine every interaction with a person is something that they're learning from that. They're going to explore that a little bit more each time. So in the areas where I'm at, where, you know, the most of the bears I run into probably have never seen a human being up that close before in their entire life. Whereas bears in these national parks, they, they're seeing people all the time. It's not even just the bears. I remember one time I was staying at a campground with uh, buddies of mine. This is back in my 20s. And we, we had been drinking and everything. And so it's late, late in the night or early in the morning, one of the two. And I had a, a bag of cheesy poofs that I had been eating, snacking on. And I had set that down between my feet on the ground. And I was sitting on the seat of a picnic table. Engaged deeply in conversation with my buddy there. And... He says, uh, this is after some time passed, he said, buddy, there, there's a raccoon on your foot. And I looked down, and lo and behold, there sure was a raccoon sitting on my foot, holding that bag of cheesy poofs, eating out of it, just like a, just like a child would do. Uh, that's that's the way these, these animals get when they're exposed to people too much. Uh, they, they lose their, their natural fear. And they adopt instead this level of comfort and even curiosity about people. Uh, that, that can lead to trouble. Of course, this Blue Ridge Parkway Superintendent Tracy Swartout has to state the obvious. When people intentionally attract bears with trash and food, it can lead to very dangerous situations. You think about the, Appala the old Appalachian Trail. Think about all the people who don't know anything about anything going out and doing the Appalachian Trail and their interactions with wildlife and the effects of that. Nah, I don't want anything to do with the Appalachian Trail or national parks for the most part. Here's another report about bears 
from WSAZ out of Huntington, West Virginia. Bear attacks security guard inside Colorado Hotel. This is in Aspen, Colorado. A security guard in Colorado is recovering after an attack by a bear. Now you might think, upon hearing that, that the, the security guard stepped outside and then that's where this bear encounter occurred. No, I'm looking at a picture of it right here. It's in the kitchen. The bear has come into the Colorado Hotel. By the way, I will post these pictures. Uh, I don't want to show them to you here because of potential issues with copyright and that sort of thing on my YouTube channel. But what I will do is on the, the Practical Woodsman online community over there on Locals, I will post these pictures later. You can get to see them. So looking at this guy, the security guard lying on the ground, bear standing on his back hind legs, looming over top this guy. This is the security camera. It says the incident, which happened Monday night at the St. Regis Aspen Resort, was caught on camera. People reported seeing the bear in the kitchen before the guard went to investigate. When the security guard turned a corner, he apparently startled the bear. See, that's what I'm talking about. If if he had maintained plenty of distance between him and the bear instead of like coming right around the corner and the bear being there, things would have gone a lot better for him. So when the security guard turned a corner, he apparently startled the bear. The bear, what do you think he did? Well, he does what you would do. <laughs> like again, you walk outside your back door and there's an alien from Neptune standing right there. Um, my daughter does this. If you if you come around the corner and scare her, the first thing she does is just reflex. Is she just strikes out at you, uh, which is comical when my daughter does it. Probably ain't so comical when a 400 pound black bear does it to you. So that's what the black bear did. Responded by swiping the guard's back and knocking him to the ground. The guard managed to get away and call 911. He was hospitalized but released Tuesday morning. Wildlife officials tried to capture the bear Monday night, but it initially escaped. They didn't catch up with it until early Wednesday morning. The bear was found in a tree near a park where it was tranquilized and later euthanized, wildlife officials said. During their search, wildlife officials said they found eight other bears moving around downtown Aspen. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's not the exposure to people that's so bad. It's the exposure to ignorant people. And by ignorant, I, I don't mean stupid. I just mean you don't know what you don't know, right? So that's the kind of thing I think leads to trouble when wildlife encounters the general population. Well, let's take a break from bears. What do you guys think about bears? You worry about bears? I'll tell you, I, I, there are areas where I would not go um, into without heavy firepower i'm talking about um you know not a 22 i'm talking about serious a serious gun serious ammo that would be areas where uh, anywhere where i'd be around in grizzly territory also i'd take all sorts of precautions as far as early warning systems and uh, electric fence lonnie over there at uh, far north bushcraft i've seen him put up a bear perimeter um he's of course in an area where he's got to worry about grizzlies i would definitely do that also uh for sure for sure anywhere where i might be where there would be polar bears i mean i would take every precaution and then some but uh you know i'm not saying the black bears are not dangerous they sure are especially as they get familiar with people used to 
getting people's food and that sort of thing. There was a, a backpacking trip I did up in northeastern Pennsylvania several years ago. When I say several, I mean probably 10, <laughs> 10 15 years ago. But uh, on the second day, I come up through the woods, looked up into the woods. I could see some collar up there through the, the brush and stuff. And so I'm going to go explore that. It looks like a tent that's been ripped up. Well, it was. It was an entire, it was a camp that had been completely destroyed by a black bear. The tent was ripped to shreds. The, the, the people's backpacks were still there. The people's backpacks were there. Their spare clothes was there. Uh, everything was there. And this bear had just torn this camp to bits. Now, probably what had happened is that these folks, this probably did not happen in the middle of the night. What I think happened is that they were using this maybe as a base camp. And so they said they had all their stuff there and they went off for the day and just left their stuff there. So they didn't have a fire going. You know, a fire will keep most things away. Bear, feral pigs, uh, it'll keep almost all wildlife away. So I would say that they did not have a fire going. There was nobody there at the time. But this uh, black bear come in there and I mean, he ripped it. I, I might've been the only person to come across this thing. And it was clear to me that the whoever had been there when they saw that, they just left stuff there and they trucked it out of there and they never come back. And I ended up rummaging through there and finding a flashlight, which I have to this day, and it's probably my favorite flashlight of all time. Let me show it to you. This is an LED linser. See if I can get that in focus for you folks who are watching the video here. Love, love, love this flashlight. You know, I it's my lucky flashlight, mostly because it's got a story behind it. But I love this. I love the size. It takes three AAA batteries, and uh, still works. You know, it's probably 15 years old. This this flashlight, and it's a shame everything's going to rechargeables now because I I still love this flashlight. But that's the story behind it. And I rummaged through that destruction zone of this black bear. I think I recovered a few other items for myself uh, but most of it I just I had to leave behind so black bears you know they're they're out there and gotta take precautions with them they are very dangerous you don't want to walk right up on one and surprise one you don't want to get between one and its cubs but common sense a little bit of common sense will keep you safe um, it's interesting talking about black bears you know I lived in Philly for a long time Philadelphia and of course right across the bridge from Philadelphia is New Jersey well here's what I know about New Jersey New Jersey believe it or not now most people does do not think of New Jersey this way but New Jersey has the densest population of black bear I think in the world and at the same time do you know what the the idiot politicians there in New Jersey have done they have outlawed bear spray so there's no habitat left over for these bears for this population of bears the densest population of bears anywhere in the United States at least and uh, the politicians have out outlawed bear spray what do you think about that pretty daggum stupid if you ask me what I say about something like that is a person's got to do what a person's got to do it's kind of the way I feel about rattlesnakes you know when they outlaw killing a rattlesnake but uh, 
but when it comes to your life being threatened you got to do what you got to do so let's uh we're going to segue from talking about bears let's talk about forest fires currently here where i'm at this is forest fire season what does that mean it means that conditions are ripe for forest fires it involves the dryness uh, lack of precipitation an abundance of wind and these sorts of things so what do you think about forest fires now i know that these are something that people out there out west are dealing with all the time unfortunately due to the natural conditions out there and um, because of just lousy uh, lousy management of of the national force but uh in the east maybe you think that there there's not really something to worry about because we've got so much green vegetation and those sorts of things well let me tell you it's probably by the grace of the good lord that i have not started a forest fire in my more naive youth because uh, i didn't take a lot of precautions back then you know i, I learned from my dad watching my dad uh, build fires and those sorts of things and we, we just didn't take a lot of precautions because we did we did have pretty regular rainfall uh, a lot of green vegetation uh, just not as easy to get a, a forest fire started as you would say out west but my I did have an experience where my uh, a cousin of mine who lived right down the road from us was playing with matches and he did catch uh, a shed on fire and uh, you know we didn't have a fire department out there we didn't have neighbors just right across the street so it was it was a big deal we were worried about getting a major forest fire started so we were all fighting it with uh, buckets of water and and those sorts of things we, we finally got her out but it is something that you have to worry about every once in a while while I'm out in these really wild areas I'll come across areas where there's been a forest fire uh, even in the very lush green forests of the east in the mountains so it's something really to take into consideration I, I take a lot of care these days to make sure to, to clear out an area of any leaves I go right down to the dirt and clean that all out and clean out a, a nice area where I can get a fire going and not have to worry about even the sparks coming up off the fire and maybe landing somewhere and getting something started I'll tell you something I, I really don't like from uh, these are memories from when I was hiking the more popular trails like on the Appalachian Trail and those sorts of things is when the people before me at a camp would douse their fire after they were done with water so when you come into the camp and you want to have a campfire that night guess what you get greeted with a big sopping nasty mess that now you are supposed to build your fire on top of so there are better ways of putting out fires than just dousing them with buckets of water and leaving that sloppy mess for the next people who are going to come along probably the very next night. Uh, it, what's better to do is to scoop up dirt, is to douse the fire with dirt. You separate all the burning logs and then you smother it with dirt. That's, that's the better way to do that. And... Um, just as effective and it's more considerate for anybody who might be coming around up behind you especially when you're in areas that uh where they they require you to stay at predetermined or pre-established campsites 
you know, surely any of you who have done this come into a camp, you want to build your fire for the night, you know, you're, you're, you're busted from backpacking all day long. And then you come to the fire ring, start to get your fire going for supper and all that. And you find it just, it's just a big soupy, nasty mess. Uh, surely you know what I'm talking about. So use dirt instead for a change. It, it, it requires a little bit more effort, but I think it's better. Unless regulations or the law or something says you have to use water, then, of course, obey the law. It's not something I have to deal with anymore because, like I say, I don't go out into the areas where I'm going to run into 100 other people. Steep Valley Fire, burning in New River Gorge National Park and Preserve from WSAZ, Huntington, West Virginia. The Steep Valley Fire in New River Gorge National Park and Preserve was discovered on Monday, November 6th at around 2 p.m. The cause of fire is under investigation, continues to burn in the War Ridge and Bacchus Mountain areas. The fire has already consumed 1,505, uh, pardon, 1,550 acres and has been actively burning in extremely steep, rugged terrain as of just a few couple days ago, containment was estimated to be 11%. I've been getting smoke from that. <laughs> uh, and it's also been creating some really spectacular sun rises and sunsets. Smoke may be visible when the fire is actively burning and it may linger in the gorge for several days as it moves, officials say. A lot of roads closed, a lot of area in the park closed. Here's the next headline from WSAZ. Hundreds of forest fires reported in West Virginia as windy, dry conditions persist. Forestry officials and meteorologists say forest fires will remain a risk throughout parts of the tri-state. The tri-state is southeastern Ohio, West Virginia, and Kentucky. With dry and windy conditions in the forecast. In 2023 to date, West Virginia has experienced 916 fires, burning approximately 11,340 acres. With 114 of those fires, this is interesting, happening since October 1st. Fall fire season started on October 1st and continues through December 31st in West Virginia. Residents have to confine their outdoor burning to between 5 p.m. and 7 a.m. So you're still allowed to burn fires. You just ain't allowed to do it while there's daylight outside. You know why that is? It's harder to see the fire. It's harder to see the flame when it's broad daylight. At night, you can actually see what the fire is doing. What do you think is West Virginia's most common cause of wildfires? What would you guess? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's debris burning. Debris burning averages more than 35% of all wildfires in the past 10 years in West Virginia, according to the Division of Forestry. So here's the rules for my local area. No outdoor burning from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Any fire set between 5 p.m. and 7 a.m. must be extinguished before 7 a.m. Before leaving any fire for any length of time, the fire has to be completely extinguished. Clear at least a 10-foot area around the fire. This is what I was telling you that I do uh, according to conditions. I don't always do this. But, you know, I've learned to, to understand the the conditions for when I really do need to do this and that's what I do I clean a large area 
around right down to the dirt. I'm taking into consideration not just the fire and the heat of the fire and the way the fire might spread or things might roll out of the fire, but I'm taking into consideration to the sparks, what the sparks are going to do. Watch a fire sometime, like if you've got a campfire going, watch, watch the sparks that come up out of the fire, and this will change depending on the fuel that you're using, the type of wood and those sorts of things, but the sparks will come up out of the fire and then watch how long they remain lit, that ember, before it goes out. And, you know, usually that'll happen within five, six feet of the fire, but you want to make sure that you've cleared out an area where one of those embers or those sparks does not float along, still lit, and then land down on a, some dry twigs, dry leaves, those sorts of things. If your fire escapes, guess what? You are liable for the cost of fighting the fire and any damage the fire may cause. Boy, now there is a cost that could really uh, set you back, couldn't it? Because <laughs> if you imagine the, the cost involved with fighting a forest fire that is consuming like thousands of acres, my goodness, the man hours and the equipment and all that, goodness gracious. So here in my area in Appalachia, autumn is the driest season of the year. That's when leaves are falling. And uh, so uh, it, forest fires, uh, out of control fires, is a real possibility. And we've currently been in somewhat of a drought, so that's making things worse. Been a dry summer too. You know, usually when we think about like a, a forest fire getting started, we're thinking about somebody threw down a cigarette, or they didn't um, manage their fire well and, and things like that. But there are other ways that forest fires start. Lightning is a is real source of forest fires. Um, in the coal fields, a fire can get started by an underground coal seam fire. These are fires that burn under the ground. They're burning all the time. You don't know it. But then they come into exposure to some of the fuel that is on the uh, top ground. In the west, in the western U.S., there's a lot of fire started by uh, dry lightning, they call it. But in these parts, uh, according to WSAZ, most of our forest fires come from people legally burning brush. And then the, the fire accidentally escapes. And then there are some fires that are arson-related. These are just people up to no good purposely starting fires. As recently as Monday... There were more than 4,000 acres smoking in the West Virginia and Kentucky hills. And uh, they've been contained, most of them, by carefully and skillfully laid fire lines. But they have to, do you know what they got to wait for in order to be extinguished? Rain. And we don't have any in the forecast. So you fellow Appalachianers, here's a reminder. Forest fire season runs through November in Ohio until December 15th in Kentucky and through the end of the year in West Virginia. By law, you may only burn vegetation from 5 p.m. to 7 a.m. in West Virginia and from 6 p.m. through 6 a.m. in Kentucky. So I reckon it's not just a matter of being able to see the, the fire better. It says that these are the hours when the winds lighten, temperatures drop, and humidity rises. Well, that's nice to know. I just thought it was a matter of being able to see the fire, but it's more than that. Winds lighten temperatures drop and humidity rises huh gonna have to make a mental note of that that's just something i learned boy 
if you didn't think, I, I tell you what, the more I hear about California, now I've done some backpacking out in California, but in the last 10 years, I mean, the more I read about it, I just, it sounds, it sounds like hell to me. I have no interest. I don't know why anybody would want to live in California with all these bureaucratic regulations and all these things. Listen to this. Campsite reservations at California state parks can be hard to get. Will a new law help? Well, think about the people making the law. Of course it's not going to help because the people making these laws are all dummies. Taken from the Los Angeles Times. Says anyone who's tried to reserve campsites at a California state park or beach knows how tricky they can be to secure with spots sometimes being completely booked up minutes after slots open. Think about trying to enjoy the great outdoors out in California where you need permits and reservations and regulations and all these things. When out here in the east in Appalachia, in the Appalachian regions, I'll tell you what, you go down into parts of West Virginia and there's so few regulations, you are really, it's you against the land. The trails are almost non-existent. They don't, they're not perfectly paved roads, uh, perfectly marked trees or anything like that. I mean, you, it really requires skill to traverse some of the West Virginia wilderness areas. And there's no predetermined campsites. You, you have to do that yourself. I love that. Now compare that to this complete lack of freedom and just bureaucratic nonsense happening in California. A bill recently signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom seeks to improve access by discouraging residents from reserving campsites they don't plan to use. They have, they, they have to pa pass a law for this. Um, <laughs> ridiculous. It also creates a temporary system that will use random drawings to assign reservations. Does that sound fun to you? Like you have to win the lottery to get to take your family camping? Does that sound fun to you? Does it sound to you like that's the way it's supposed to be in a free society where public lands are supposed to belong to you? They're supposed to belong to all of us. Does it sound like that's the way it's supposed to be? Maybe they need to create more camping areas and camping sites and wilderness areas rather than you know, ridiculous to me. You have to win the lottery in order to get to take your family camping. California's public parks and beaches are treasures that should be enjoyed by all Californians, somebody said in a statement. Unfortunately, our current outdated reservation system has led to a situation where many campsites are left empty. So, <laughs> this reminds me of like being on an airplane and you look up and you find a better seat Nobody's sitting there, but it's not the seat that you reserved, and so they won't let you sit in the seat. So nobody gets to sit in the seat. Isn't that stupid? Or going to a baseball game. Can you imagine like the, the usher coming down and kicking you out of a seat that nobody's sitting in, but it's not the seat that you reserved for the game? They would rather nobody get to sit there. California has about 280 state parks with more than 15,000 campsites, cabins, cottages, and yurts available for use. Roughly half of state parks use an online system. Why only half? The internet has been around since the 90s. Why is California only using, making possible reservations to half 
of their 15,000 campsites, cabins, cottages, and yurts. I mean, what, what, you know, and I've, I've talked to people who live out in California. I, they have the worst telephone reception, the worst internet service of anybody in any other state that I've ever talked to. Nobody wants to live there. You, you hear about people fleeing California. It's a, a travesty. It's a travesty what the people in charge there have done to that beautiful state. So this bill is going to say uh, that the, on these maximum days, like these peak seasons, you can only stay for so many nights at a campsite. Uh, for the entire year, you can only camp for 30 days total. So, you know, you have to... Imagine if camping is your family's favorite thing to do in the whole world. And you live in California. You can't do it. You can't just do it. You, you've got to jump through all these hoops. They put limits on everything you can do. Financial penalties, penalties for possible no-shows. People who cancel. Uh, it completely defeats the, the whole purpose of the great outdoors, in my opinion. Now, if you're a Californian you think I'm off base, you love California, and you think I'm missing something, you let us know down in the comments section because I allow for the fact that I don't live in California. It just, it doesn't sound fun to me. Nothing I hear coming out of California sounds fun to me or sounds like anything I want any part in. Now here's something interesting. Conversation about caves. And this will wrap up our discussion for today. This story and the next one which is horrifying by the way so don't go anywhere i'm telling you what we're going to end this show with a story that is going to it's it's rough to to hear um but it's interesting here's from the epoch times it's called uh, cave sweet cave geologist builds cozy cave abode in vertical cliffs in new mexico here's why and i'll tell you what these pictures are to die for like I say, I wish I could show them to you here on the video. Uh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get in trouble with censors and uh, you know copyright issues and stuff like that. But you folks join me over on uh, thepracticalwoodsman.locals.com or download the locals.com app, search for The Practical Woodsman Within, and I will be sharing these pictures of this guy who built a home inside a cave. Now, you might think like the walls are lined with wood and stuff like that. No, this is a cave that he has turned into a home full of electricity. It's got a kitchen. It's got a living room. It's got all these things. And it is, I mean, it's amazing. It is gorgeous. It must have cost a million dollars to build this, but it is fantastic. It says, uh, who in their right mind would spend 20000 All right, so not a million, but... Well, probably a million, I'd say, by the time you got done. This is just the excavation. $20,000. Excavate in the side of a cliff in a steep valley for a few extra square feet of office space. A naval intelligence commander, that's who. And it was Bruce A. Black who first sketched out the plans for his cave on a bar napkin over a few beers with a pair of miners, the Zinc Brothers, in 1982. Well, that explains it. $20,000 in 1982. Probably be a lot more today. That napkin plan became the basis for an abode nested in a geological wonder in a cliff valley of a special type of sandstone known as Ojo Alamo, located in northwest New Mexico. I bet it's Ojo Alamo. 
not Ojo Alamo. I think they're missing an accent mark. The Puebloans of the 12th century once lived here and built the impressive Cave Palace not two hours north. Some theorize that those same Puebloans built their fortress halfway up a cliff, partially sheltered in a cave, to defend against tribal aggressors. I bet they're right. Now I got a picture here of the bedroom. My goodness, it's magnificent. It's just like you'd think. It's a cave, but it's got like a... They've flattened this floor in the cave, but everything else has been maintained really rough and rustic and natural with like the southwest decorations you know it's got these furniture like made out of solid wood and everything and then in the background there's a it looks like a sliding glass door that leads out to a balcony on the side of this cave it's fantastic i just wonder like how do they deal with bugs like how do they keep bug how do you how would you keep bugs out of your cave I mean, you can't even keep bugs out of your house. How do you keep them out of a cave? Whether Mr. Black wanted an out-of-the-way office space, a cave fortress, or a nuclear fallout shelter is neither here nor there, the article says. It became none of the above in the end. Rather, it became Cocopelli's Cave or Coco's Cave. Although inspired by Puebloan architecture in some ways, it's now furnished with most of the amenities you'd expect from a cozy bed and breakfast. That's what it is nowadays. You can actually stay here. Um, my goodness, what fun that would be. It is so beautiful. So the Zink brothers used hydro drilling and blasting to remove stone, carving a donut cavity in the living sandstone. Inside, a large central pillar was left to help hold up the solid rock roof. There was a main opening for a door and a secondary puncture for a balcony with a vista. It overlooks the La Plata River Valley with a 300-foot vertical drop to the valley floor. I bet you that's where that uh, that other picture I was telling you about that has, like, the balcony. I bet that's what it looks over. And they've got a picture here of the desert valley. Beautiful snow-capped mountains in the background. I'm telling you, it's uh, this thing is spectacular. At first, this raw, vacant cavity was unfinished, unfurnished, and unused for years. It turned into a hangout where youngsters partied. It become a blank canvas for vandals and soon the cave's interior was covered with graffiti and smoke from bonfires Th does that surprise you <laughs> doesn't surprise me at all that's another reason why i don't like going into quote unquote wilderness areas where there's a million other people or that everybody knows about because you end up with that you end up with people who have ruined the natural world um a buddy of mine, a good buddy of mine, he does these, uh, he goes out on these back trails and stuff in his side-by-side, -side, like all-terrain vehicle. Now, every once in a while, I get folks who write me a message and say something like, you know, you're, you're not right. Because my, my standing is that you can only get into true wilderness areas on foot. And so every once in a while, I'll get somebody, no, that's not true. You can get out there on snowmobile. You can get out there in an all-terrain vehicle and stuff like that. And, um, my argument is, no, you can't. You can't because you you need fuel. <laughs> I mean, the, it's finite how far you can drive an all-terrain vehicle into the backcountry. So eventually you're going to have to turn around and come back and get more fuel. You're going to have to carry fuel with you and those sorts of things. But guess what else happens when you can just ride out somewhere on an all-terrain vehicle? You get graffiti. 
you get human activity that has defaced and affected negatively the natural world. Those are not wild areas. I still maintain the only way you can get out into areas untouched by people, uh, you know, to the extent that, that's possible in our age, is on foot. Because anybody who can get out there on an all-terrain vehicle, then that's going to attract all sorts of people. And some of those people are going to leave a negative impact on those areas where they can get to in an all-terrain vehicle. You can't... yeah. A person hiking 40 miles into the woods on foot that you can only get to on foot is not packing things that they they don't need or that is just extra weight, like paint cans, chisels. You know, you're not going to get somebody carrying a chisel 100 miles into the backcountry if you can only get there on foot. They don't want to carry it. They have to carry their food. They have to carry their sleeping system. They have to carry their blankets and water and all those things. In the areas that you can only get to on foot, these are the areas that are true wilderness because not just any schmuck can drive out there on a moped and carry destructive things with them, leave destruction behind them in, in any effective way. So I'm, there's my rant for this week. That's uh, my old man yells at storm cloud meme. Mr. Black became fed up with all this malarkey here in his hollowed out cave so he barred the entrance with a one-fourth inch thick steel door and the place took on the urban legend of some crazy man's pet project until 1993 so he finally comes back and by 1994 he had the place finished and comfortable for living eventually mr black turned it into a bed and breakfast and that's what it is today it's comfortable but also a geologist's dream the article says the textures are wondrous the walls expose the sandstone strata deposited at ojo alamo right above the boundary of the last great extinction when the dinosaurs disappeared the fireplace you should see it it's not just a fireplace it's got this great big circle made out of block so that you could actually have like a a serious fire inside this thing modern comforts were furnished thanks to electrical and other utilities run through a 100-foot shaft drilled to the cliff top above. That hole doubles as a powered venting shaft. Now they have running water for a jacuzzi with a waterfall that serves as a shower. Of course, like any bed and breakfast, there's a kitchenette and laundry facilities. The bathroom is the only room with an installed wall. Drainage pipes run inside excavated grooves under the floors, traveling to a septic system down in the valley. My God, I'll tell you, these pictures, you got to see them. It's, they're fantastic. The bedroom was just fantastic. The cave was done on a shoestring, Mr. Black's son said. Fortunately, Mom and my sister picked out excellent collars on the carpet and countertops. That's right, it's got carpet. The cave, due to its natural stone walls, is full of texture, and we deliberately avoided trying to add to it. They furnished the cave with aspen wood and upholstery. You can visit Coco's Cave for a holiday. Stay in its cozy cave rooms. Marvel on its magnificent view. Perhaps as the Puebloans did in the 12th century. The proprietors will meet you at a church parking lot in nearby Farmington. You'll drive out to the valley. Descend a stone path halfway down the cliff to a cozy alcove 
of an entrance. Bring a backpack, it says, and avoid cumbersome luggage. Farmington is the nearby town, I reckon. It says it's so close you can run to the grocery store or dine out. You have to leave your pets at home. Are you claustrophobic? Have you ever heard of something called Nutty Putty Cave? On November 24, 2009, a man named John Edward Jones becomes stuck in the Nutty Putty Cave for 27 to 28 hours. I'll tell you, just reading about this gave me the the heebie-jeebies. This man had to suck in his gut to crawl through this space that uh, that he could not get through with just the air in his in his lungs. So he expelled all the air in his lungs, squeezed through this really tight spot, and then dropped down into this pocket in this cave, which was barely big enough for his body, upside down. And it was a dead end. So he's upside down in a cave beneath the earth, no way to get out. He starts yelling for, I think it was his brother. His brother comes to try to help him. He can't get him out. Oh, it says that Jones mistook an uncharted section of the cave as the similarly tight birth canal, quote-unquote, passageway and became stuck upside down in an area measuring 10 by 18 inches. 10 by 18 inches. That's 25 by 46 centimeters. And this happened around 400 feet or 120 meters from the cave's entrance. Jones was held in place like a hook, unable to move without causing serious harm due to the bends his body was placed in. A large team of rescue workers came to his assistance. Still, they were unable to retrieve Jones using a sophisticated rope and pulley system after a pulley failed mid-extraction. This guy, who, how old was he? He was born in 1983, and this happened in 2009, mid-20s. What a, what a situation to get yourself into. Well, this poor guy, he ultimately suffered cardiac arrest due to the strain placed upon his body over several hours by his inverted compressed position. Can you imagine? Even if you're not claustrophobic, that's got to give you the... It's got to raise the hair on the back of your neck. Being trapped under the ground in such a confined space upside down in the dark. You can't move your arms. You can't move your legs. You can't move. You're just stuck there. And you've got to, you're like that for 27 to 28 hours before then you suffer a fatal heart attack and you just die like that. Rescuers concluded that it would be too dangerous to attempt to retrieve his body. The landowner and Jones' family come to an agreement that the cave would be permanently closed with the body sealed inside as a memorial to Jones. Explosives were used to collapse the ceiling close to Jones' body and the entrance hole was filled with concrete to prevent further access. The School and Institutional Trust Lands Administration, who owns the property, decided to seal off the entrance, leaving Jones' body inside. That's right, to this day. 
that young man, his remains, are right there in that spot that he crawled into willingly and died right there. It says a film about the tragedy titled The Last Descent was released on September 16th, 2016. Don't think that's going to be a movie I want to watch just because I just don't want to put myself through that type of horrific... <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want to imagine that, let alone... Uh, you know what a movie does to you. You'd be sitting there watching the movie like experiencing so much angst. So that is the Nutty Putty Cave and the young man who died in there was called uh, John Edward Jones. So you can Google that if you are a glutton for punishment. Uh, I did some spelunking in my youth. Had a friend who was really heavy into it. It was a friend of my dad's and he took us one time in Indiana we went down into a a non-commercial cave that he knowed about and we went down there and explored all of that and there were sections where we did have to get down on our bellies and you know crawl like a salamander through certain sections of that cave uh, it, it was a lot of a lot of great fun I, there's never any situation where I would go oh yeah I want to go into this spot here where I have to suck in I like I have to empty my body out of uh, all the air out of my lungs in order to get in there and I can barely move and I have to wiggle like a worm nah, it doesn't appeal to me there's no as I get older I find myself asking why would I want to do that like I play a lot of cost benefit game uh, all the time that's that's what I think about these people who just want to peak mountains they just want to get to the top of a mountain I said, why? What, what, what's up there? Are there any resources? There's no resources up there. So what's the benefit? I get to see something from up high. But I don't get to experience like a, an intimacy with nature or anything like that or get to see life in a forest, deal with uh, you know, the resources of a lush forest uh, and things like that. For me, it's all about trees density of trees getting deep into lush forest and resources and running water and, and those sorts of things I have no interest whatsoever in any bag bragging rights to say hey I I got to the top of these six mountaintops somewhere it just doesn't interest me there's nothing up there I want to be down lower where the forests are um, to me that's the the that's what enriches your spirit, you know, your soul. It, it fills you with an intimacy of, of Mother Nature and brings you closer to God. It helps you escape the delusions of living just in areas that are completely controlled and manipulated and sculpted by man, right? Uh, it's nice to not be able to walk into a room and just hit, click a switch and have lights come on. It's really nice. Now, I will say it's also very nice to walk into a room, click a switch, and do have the lights come on. It's nice to step into a shower, turn on water, and have hot water come out. But not all the time. Not all the time. That alienates you from the natural world. So it is nice sometimes to have to figure out how you're going to create light or work without light. Make your own candles. Um, how are you going to heat up water? There's this guy... Uh, I, I do want to do a show re sometime soon and just give a shout out 
to the folks that I admire on the internet, the folks that I watch. I think I've mentioned, for example, I mentioned Lonnie over there at Far North Bushcraft quite a bit. There's another guy uh, that I really admire. I mentioned him not too too long ago. Uh, let me see if I can pull him up real quick. Donnie Laws. He's somebody that I really, I love his channel. He talks all about Appalachia and everything and talks about the stories, the myths, the the history of the Appalachian life. Uh, so Donnie Laws, D-O-N-N-I-E Laws, L-A-W-S. Really fantastic channel that I love. Of course, when I started the Practical Woodsman, I gave a shout out and a dedication to Nagualero, N-A-G-U-A-L-E-R-O. He's no longer with us, but man, I loved watching his content. Of course, everybody knows about Townsend's. I like to watch Townsend's. T-O-W-N-S-E-N-D-S. I'll include shout-outs down in the information of the of the show. And, uh, yeah, here's the guy I was thinking of. Waypoint Survival. Waypoint Survival. Really like the guy. I don't... Uh, I think a lot of the things he does is just not practical. But I love seeing him do it. I, he's a really down-to-earth guy. I, I like him a lot. But what I'm trying to get to is this other guy that I watch. His name is Hobo Shoestring. He is an honest-to-God hobo, modern-day hobo, rides the rails. And uh, I learned some things from him. Because a lot of the things that he's got to, he, he's just got to get by while he's out, away from home, doesn't have any of his stuff with him. I mean, he's got a backpack and carry some other things. But this hobo Shoestring, one thing that he does, is he likes to stay clean when he's out. He's not just, you know like living like a homeless person he likes to stay clean and take care of himself and stuff like that and one thing he showed off was uh taking like a a milk jug wrapping it with black tape and just sitting it out in the sun for a while and within like two hours you've got hot water you can actually shower with that water and have warm water uh so that's something i've learned which is just fantastic i learned i learned things from other people that i just i probably wouldn't have thought of by myself but how simple is that Get yourself some black tape, wrap it around a bottle, leave that out in the sun, and even away from home, even out in the woods, you can you can work up a warm shower. I don't remember where I was going with that, but let's talk about the very last thing for this show. Castor oil. In the cartoons and in the old shows back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, maybe maybe longer, 50 years ago. Uh, as a punishment, parents would have their kids uh, take a, like a tablespoon of castor oil. By the way, it's made out of beans, a particular kind of bean, but that's where the castor oil comes from, castor bean. It expels your body of parasites. So if you don't want to go to the doctor, you're worried that maybe you have a parasite, castor oil is the way to do it. That's the way all the old timers in Appalachia used to do it. You know, my family did that, um, would to to expel and keep your body free of dangerous parasites. Now, here's something that I did not know. Do you know that when you kill parasites within your body, when the parasite dies, it expels toxins? Like the dead body of the parasite inside your body creates toxins. The, it expels toxins. And did you know that if you kill the parasites in an unbalanced way within your body, that 
when the parasites die and they expel these toxins, if it's in enough a quantity, it can actually kill you. That was news to me. I did not know that. I thought once they're dead, what's you know what once they're dead, then what what harm can they do you? Well, the harm that they can do you is that they create just like anything, you know, like an old tree falls down in the forest, then it's rotting and it's giving nutrients to the forest and stuff like that, right? Or a, a squirrel dies in the forest. Same thing happens. It's dying, it's rotting, it's supplying food and stuff to the its environment. Uh, well, apparently these parasites inside your body do the same thing in a toxic way. And so if you have enough parasites in you and enough of them die within you, uh, they, they can actually take you right along with them. So from what I understand, uh, and you know, don't quote me on this, but from what I understand, taking castor oil doesn't kill the parasites. It instead it flushes them out. It, it runs them out of your system instead of killing them inside of you. So there's a home remedy to keep yourself free of parasites for you to keep there in your memory in your knowledge banks and maybe it's time for us all to go to the store and make sure that we have a supply of castor oil on hand and it so ladies and gentlemen that's the show I appreciate you joining me let me tell you it's been a little difficult for me to find some balance in my work here so I, I think we skipped a week with the podcast the reason for that is because I don't want to be bombarding YouTube and Rumble with videos like every day of me, uh, these different types of videos. And because what happens is if I do a video that I'm really proud of and I upload it to like, let's say YouTube, I want as many people as possible to see that video. And if I upload a video like two days later, what I've noticed is that viewership for the other video drops while, while people are referred to the new video instead. So you see, there's there's like a balance there that I need to do, where if I if I'm interested in people as many people as possible seeing a video, I can't just be uploading the video a couple days later, and so I need to find out a balance of when I can do this show, this podcast, without affecting the number of people that get to see these really interesting things I'm doing on these exclusive videos, on these adventures, and those sorts of things. So uh, bear with me. We will find a pattern. And we will fall into a pattern. I know we've been doing this now for about a year. It's been a year. I started Practical Woodsman one year ago. So, uh, yeah, I should have probably already fallen into a pattern. We'll get there. I appreciate all you folks who have patiently waited for this episode. And I'll try to get the next episode out sooner. Y'all take care. And I'll see you next time.